there were two guys. One's name was David and the other's name was Jonathan. And they were really, really good friends. But this one day, David was uh, talking with Jonathan and he said, uh, your dad doesn't like me. Jonathan said, I, I know, but it, it's okay. And, no, David said, your dad seriously does not like me. He is going to kill me. And Jonathan said, I, no, I mean, I know, I know. Dad's got his issues and he doesn't like you, but... He's not going to kill you. David says, okay, look, here's what, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go on a little bit of a trip. You tell your dad that I went on a trip and I couldn't make the banquet. And depending on his reaction, we will know whether or not he wants to kill me. Jonathan says, okay, I can do that. We're friends. I'll let you know. And when I, after the banquet, I'll come out here and I'll shoot a couple of arrows. And then you'll know, depending on how I shoot the arrows, whether or not you should run away because my dad is either fine or crazy. All right. So Jonathan goes to the banquet and he sits down and he begins to eat. And his dad uh, is sitting there and his dad goes, where's David? I thought that David was going to be here at this banquet. And Jonathan says, oh yeah, you'll have to forgive him. He had a, a different thing and so he went on a little bit of a trip to go visit his family because it was really important that he uh, have this day with his family. And Jonathan's dad was mad. Like, not a little mad, really, really mad. And Jonathan says, well, hang on. I, I mean, it's, it's just David. I mean, he, he would normally be here. And Jonathan's dad picked up a spear and threw it at Jonathan. And Jonathan went, you know what? I think my dad is mad. <laughs> I don't think that it is safe for my friend David to be here. And so Jonathan went outside and he shot those arrows and he told the guy who was running to get the arrows, he goes, no, they're on, they're on past you. You'll have to keep on running. And so then the, the boy went and grabbed those arrows and brought them back and he said, okay, go ahead and go. And David came out from hiding and Jonathan gave him a big hug and he cried and he goes, you know what, my dad hates you. And you were right, he's going to try and kill you, you better get out of here. And so David hugged Jonathan and he said, I will always love you and he took off running. And he realized as he was running that he didn't have anything. He didn't have any food along. He didn't have any weapons along. Here, the, here Saul, Jonathan's dad, was wanting to kill him and he didn't have anything on him at all. And so he stopped in with a priest that was a friend of his and he's got, have you got anything? He goes, well, we have this one sword and we've got some bread here, uh, but that's holy bread. And he, uh, so I don't know that you should be eating that bread. And David went, well, I've I'm, I'm been pretty holy re- recently, so maybe you could just... Let me borrow it. Okay, that sounds good. So the, the priest gives him the bread and he gives him the sword and, Je- and David takes off. And David goes to the place that you would think he wouldn't go, right? So this sword that he got from this, this priest was the sword that he used to kill Goliath with. Everybody remembers the Goliath story, right? The big giant and David was the ruddy youth. Well, he's not a ruddy little youth anymore. Now he's a, a little bit bigger of a man. And so he's, he he's ha- has this sword and he goes and he goes to Gath, which is where the Philistines were. So you remember Goliath was a Philistine and so David is now hiding among his enemies because it is safer for him to be hiding among his enemies than it is for him to be back home where the king wants to kill him. But they all realize, hey, wait a second, isn't this 
Isn't this David? Let me read for you. 1 Samuel chapter 21. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of, of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let spit run down his beard. And then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see that man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became the commander over them. And there, and there were with him about 400 men. Now, we're not actually preaching this passage or talking about the story of David and Jonathan and Saul. But we are in uh, Psalm 34, and at the beginning of Psalm 34, it says this, This is a psalm of David, when he changed his behavior before uh, Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. This psalm took place right then. Right now, now some of you went. Wait, didn't we just read his name was Achish, and here his name is Abimelech. Abimelech is um, my father, the king, and, and refers to many different kings. And so uh, this is the same guy, even though it uses a different title for him. But this this is where the psalm comes out of. That, that David has run away from Saul because Saul wants to kill him. He run, ran to take refuge among his enemies and his enemies recognized him. So then he pretended to be crazy and then ran away from there and is hiding in the cave so that he's safe from both the king of Gath and from the king of Israel. And he's there hiding and now he writes this psalm. Which is kind of an interesting place to be, don't you think? I mean, as far as contexts for Psalms go, that's a pretty interesting place. And so let's, let's look at this Psalm. Psalm 34. A Psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. And verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be in my mouth continually. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now, that's a counterintuitive response to his circumstances, don't you think? Listen to the way this starts. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. And you go, David, you're running away with no food, no extra clothing, no weapons, and you're hiding from two kings who want to kill you. And yet, you're just singing these praises? 
You're praising the Lord and you're saying, I am always going to praise God. The, the praises of God are continually going to be on my mouth. I'll never stop praising God. You know, there are times that I don't feel like it. There are times when I don't feel like doing the right thing. There are times when I don't feel like going to the party. I love going to the party. Parties are great. You get to hang out with people. You get to play games. You get to eat food. I love going to parties, but there are some days where I just don't feel like it. I'm tired, or I'm grumpy, or I have too much stuff to do, or I just don't feel like being with people today. Now, normally, most days, if you say, hey, Travis, do you want to come to a party? Yes, let's go. I love going to parties. But some days, I just, I don't feel like it. But I love the person, and they invite me to the party, and I go, okay, I, I really need to go. I need to celebrate with them. I need to, to have this party with them, even though I don't really feel like it. And I think that's what's happening here with David. That he's going, I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. I am never, ever, ever going to stop singing the praises of how great God is. Even when he's in the cave, this is David's attitude. You know, he's not singing from the temple. There are other psalms that you read, and it talks about this was the psalm that David wrote when he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. That time when he was dancing so aggressively that his wife was like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe he's doing that. How embarrassing. I mean, that, that day was full of celebration and excitement and dancing. He's praising God. But now we have a very different context. He's not dancing in victory on the way into Jerusalem. He's not even singing praise in the temple. He's out of Jerusalem. He's out of Israel altogether. He's hiding in a cave in a foreign land amongst people who don't like him. That's a very different context for a psalm. And so he starts off and says, but I am going to bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. As Taylor already mentioned, and we, we tried this together to pray at, in an alphabetical way, right? That we would just pray at A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way through to Z. And it's a little bit tricky to do that. And, and David does that here. He, this is a, an acrostic um, prayer, an acrostic psalm. And so in the Hebrew language, it doesn't look like it to us because we couldn't translate it directly over that way. But in Hebrew, if you were to read it in the way that he wrote it, it did that same kind of thing. A, B, C, D, every line, a new letter. And I wonder a little bit if he didn't use that form in order to give him a way, a structure to praise while in the, in the midst of the cave. Don't you think, so, sometimes you go, I, I'm, I'm not feeling it right now, and so I need a little help. Maybe David was discouraged and he got into the cave and he went, okay, I want to praise the Lord all the time. But I have two kings who want to kill me, and I'm, I've got nothing. 
A. Always I will praise God. B. Because I'm reminding myself He's for me. C. Celebrating even when I don't feel like it. That's okay. That's okay. I want you to know there are times when you are going to pray or you are going to praise because you feel like, I know I should do this, but you don't feel like it going in. And so you can put together an artificial structure and put yourself before the presence of the Lord and pray yourself into trusting God again. And so David does. He starts off, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Not in anything else. I'm not going to boast about anything. What else is he going to boast about? He's got nothing. He's in a cave. My boast is going to be in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. He's calling. Hey, hey, anybody else? Let's do this together. Let's rejoice together. Let's celebrate together. So he's calling people to worship. He's, he's saying, I'm going to worship always. And he's calling other people to worship with him. And then he begins in verse 4 to describe his trust in the Lord. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look at him Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Isn't that great? Let me let me read that again and you can just think about David sitting in this cave. Right? Having run away from Saul, if he had gone to that banquet, he probably would have died. But he didn't. He stayed outside because he has this ally in Jonathan who warned him, and so he was able to run away before he was killed by Saul. He, he ran to, the, to Gath, and uh, the, the people there recognized him, and he almost died again, but he didn't. And he got away from there also. And so now in the cave, he's going, I, listen, listen, everybody listen. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Let me just tell you the story about this guy who was saved and now is hiding in the cave, but is safe because the Lord is around him and even currently is around him and protecting him. This is a place of safety because the Lord is here and we are seeking him. He's saying that in the cave. And so now he, he calls to, to uh, the other people, Oh, taste and see, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. For those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer uh, suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. 
Who's he talking to here? He's run away, right? He's hiding in the cave. Do you remember when we were reading in 1 Samuel? And in chapter 22 it said, And David departed from there after he pretended to be crazy and let the spit run down his beard and things. And so they went... <laughs> this is a, and so the king said... Um, why have you brought him to me? Do I lack crazy people? Get him out of here. I don't need any more crazy people. And so he kicks him out. And so David departed from there. And in chapter 22 of 1 Samuel, it says, David departed from there and escaped to the, to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his family's house father's house heard it, they went down to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became the commander over them and there were 400 people there. That's brutal. David, David barely escapes with his own life, but now his father's family... His whole, how kind of trouble? Saul is mad at David. And so they all come and find refuge in this cave with David. Along with anybody who is in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul, they all gathered together with him. We better sing a song, people. Because you are in debt and you are bitter and you are in trouble and you are not safe. And so let me remind you that this poor man, this poor man was in trouble, but the Lord saved him. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Here are some people in this cave, like 400 people. This must have been an enormous cave. There are 400 people who have all gathered to him and they're going, David, you have got to be our commander. You've got to be in charge because we all need somebody to look to for hope. And he goes, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Would, I'm, I'm, I'm calling you to just come and sample just a little bit. Does anybody else like samples? Yeah, me too. Grocery stores that have samples. I love those places. Sometimes we take a field trip as a family to Costco because we happen to know the times at which they offer samples. We don't need anything. We might walk out with a bunch of bananas and that's it, which always surprises the cashiers when you walk through with a bunch of bananas and five kids and they're going, really, that's all you need? Yeah, we just came for the samples. But the people who are doing the samples are calling out to you. They want you to eat those samples. They're calling out to you. Oh, come and taste this. Come and taste. This is really good. Let me tell you how I prepared it. Where you can find it. I just, just taste it. These chocolate covered blueberries are really, really good. This garlic butter, if you spread it on bread after you've toasted it, it is amazing. You have got to taste this. All of the samples, the, all of the people trying to get you to understand how wonderful these things are, are just going, just taste it. Just taste it. Because they know if you taste it, you're going to walk out with a box. 
You have to be super disciplined to not walk out with a box if you've tasted their samples. And so David is going, look, just come, 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 come on. Just taste and see. Just taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Even the young lions, even the strong ones, the healthy ones, that should have no problem getting something to eat, even they sometimes find themselves hungry. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. They're not missing anything. They've got whatever they need is right there for them. Which is amazing because you remember that David ran away and he's looking for bread from the priest because he didn't have anything. And yet he's reminding himself, but as all of this uh, is put together, the Lord is with me, the Lord is taking care of me. And when we trust in Him, when we look for our refuge in Him, not somewhere else, but just in the Lord, He will take care of us and we will not lack anything that we need. He will completely care for us. So then in verse... 11, he calls to the people again and he says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Does anybody want a long and happy life? That's what he's asking here. Come, come come and listen. I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to teach you something about who God is. How to understand, how to relate with Him. How to have a right relationship with Him. To live rightly, righteously before God. Is, does anybody want uh, desire life and, and love many days that He may see good? Here's what you do. Verse 13, keep your tongue from evil. And your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. He's, he's calling people who, who are bitter, who are struggling, and he's going, look, we're going to praise God. Because when we know who God is, we cannot help but praise Him all the time. Even when it doesn't feel like it because of our circumstances, we still praise God. We make it a discipline to praise God. We still act righteously. We act appropriately. We do the right thing in our following of God. I find that there are many people who, um, who are good with the praising thing, they, they want to do the praising thing. They don't think that they should have to do the righteous thing. I, I, okay, I understand God forgave me, and so I am going to praise Him for the forgiving of me, but I don't think that God really cares that much about all that I do. No, He, he does. He does. He, he wants us to live rightly before Him. We're not going to do it perfectly, and we don't earn His favor by... Uh, living rightly before Him. 
However, when we understand, listen to how he starts off. Come, O children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I will teach you to understand respect for who God is. I will teach you that. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue that. This is what he calls us to. To turn away from the sin and turn toward righteousness. And here's why. Verse 15. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. These are words that people who are in the cave need to hear. The people who are hurt, the people who are uh, destitute, the people who, who are uh, in fear, they need to hear these things. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ear is toward their cry. The face of the Lord, the, He's giving them His attention. He's not turning away from them. He's not ignoring them. He's not forgetting or neglecting. His ears are pointed in your direction. His eyes are pointed in, in your direction. His face is facing toward you. The Lord is there. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And when you are brokenhearted and crushed in spirit, you need that kind of hope. I am going to trust in the Lord because He is going to deliver me. Because in verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Can we just call time out a second? Many are the afflictions of the righteous? What's up with that? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Why doesn't the Lord just not have many afflictions for the righteous? How come we have to all be all afflicted? I don't want that. I mean, I appreciate that when I'm afflicted, I can trust that the Lord is going to pull me out of that. But couldn't the Lord just not have me be afflicted in the first place? Nope. That's not the way he does it. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. This is not when we say you get to have a long and happy life. We're, we're not saying carefree with no afflictions. No, you get to have a lot of them, but you get to trust the Lord in the process. And He's going to deliver you out of every single one. Every single time you get into an affliction, the Lord is going to deliver you out of it on the other side. That's the hope. Not that you get to skip them, but that every single time it hurts, you get taken out. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken. Well, that's good news. At least there is some limit. He's going to keep the bones from being broken. 
There can be an awful lot of affliction and not have broken bones. But this, I think, is the hope. That even when we get into them and we go, I don't know how much more I can take. I don't know how much further I can go with this. The Lord is there and he is with us and he is going to take us out. And there are limits as to how far it can go. He sets limits and goes this far and no further. I can't help but be reminded of John chapter 19 when you read this verse. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. In John chapter 19, verse 31, it says, Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross for, on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and they broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once out came the blood and the water. And he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture that says they will look on him whom they have pierced. And I look at that and go. Okay. God kept his bones from being broken. By having him be dead before they got there. And they stabbed him in the side instead. It's thought provoking. As I consider my troubles and that the Lord will deliver me out of them all. There are limits. As to how far it will go. But here's what I know. That ultimately. Jesus came right through. The one who was perfectly righteous. The one in whom there was no deceit in his mouth. He did it exactly right. And he went all the way to death on the cross and fulfilled this. Jesus, the one who was rejected by the Jews and handed over to his enemies, who then hung him on the cross. In very similar circumstances to David, who was rejected by the king of Israel and fled to hide among his enemies and then would have been killed had not the Lord spared him. And why does he do this? He put Jesus on the cross so that we might be set free. So that we might be righteous before him. And so that all of the things that David says in Psalm uh, 34 can be true for us. 
Back in Psalm 34, it says, Affliction will slay the wicked. This is verse 21. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. The condemnation that we deserved was put on Jesus so that we could remain uncondemned. None of us who trust in Him will be condemned. And so we find ourselves at the end of this psalm going, this is sort of a weird psalm. All of these pieces, as David is just putting together this acrostic and pouring out his heart, on the one hand, reminding himself in all circumstances, at all times, always and forever, praise is going to be on my lips and I am going to trust in the Lord. And at the same time, he's encouraging those who are gathered with him, who are coming from all kinds of different places of brokenness and hurt, And he is encouraging them and going, look, I am trusting the Lord even in this. He will deliver us. He will carry us through. He will pull us out of this affliction and deliver us. And we will remain uncondemned. Because we stand with Him. And our hope is in Him. And He is our refuge. And so I want for us this morning... To know that whether we come in on Sunday morning or on Mondays or on Tuesdays or on Wednesdays or Thursdays as the week is starting to wane and we're running out of energy. That even at those times, the praise of God will always be on our lips. We will always be determined to live rightly before Him and put our hope and our trust in Him because He is our refuge and He will carry us through. And now we have the opportunity to respond in song and praise Him all together. And I would encourage you to lift your voices to Him. I know for some of you, singing comes very naturally and you love to do it and you love Sundays because you get to come here and you get to sing. And there are others of you who are not too sure about the whole singing thing. That's not your favorite part. You come and you endure that there is singing because you feel like you should be in church. And I want to encourage you, just lift your voice in praise. Because when we are praising God, it is verbal. It comes out for others to hear. It's part of us encouraging one another, all here together. We are all together acknowledging these things and praising God for who He is and verbally trusting in Him. And so I would encourage you to participate in that as vocally as you can be. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you and we acknowledge that you are our God in whom we can trust. And Father, we are grateful for reminders that in the midst of all afflictions, you are there and you will deliver us out. And Father, sometimes the pain seems to uh, continue to mount and build and we wonder how much more we can take. 
But we trust that you will be faithful. That you will be faithful like you were with David. That you will be faithful like you were with Jesus. So that even through his death, he had eternal life. And through his death, we might have eternal life. And Lord, we celebrate that together this morning, giving you our praise in his name. Amen.